Hi, this is Disability Saves the World with Fadi Shinuda. I am Fadi Shinuda. This podcast brings you insights from leading experts in disability and math studies from around the world. You'll hear about the research and work of disabled artists, scholars, activists, and our allies. You'll also get some insight into their lives, their favorite non-DS activities, their hobbies, and the adventures they've taken. Most importantly, you'll hear how they think disability can save the world. My name again is Fadi Shinuda, he, him pronouns. I have a PhD in Public Health Sciences. I am a postdoc in London in the UK, and I identify as a fat, disabled cis man of color. If you don't know me, hopefully you'll get to know me a little bit more over the course of the next few episodes. On today's show, we are joined by Anna Hovanietz. Anna is a PhD candidate at the Institute of Ethnology and Cultural Anthropology at the University of Warsaw in Poland. She recently completed a three-month research visit to London, UK to conduct research, participate in seminars, and overall learn from some of the leading experts in her field. It's also where we met. I am so excited to speak with her about her research. Diversity is something that makes people more aware of others and her life outside of academia. He was playing on the guitar and singing blues for us. And ask her, of course, how she thinks disability can save the world. Hi, Anna, how you doing? Hi, good, thank you. <laughs> thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you here. I'm really excited to uh, have this conversation with you internationally this time. Yeah, I'm so excited as well. Thank you. Um, Thank you for inviting are... me. Sorry? Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really glad to have you on. We um, are both still in quarantine, um, having just traveled internationally less than two weeks ago. So what better way to spend our time than talking about, you know, our research, disability, and kind of catching up? You know, so it's like an occasion just to speak to other person, which is great, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just wonderful to talk to another person. (laughs) So let's start with segment one. Uh, Segment one is one I call inside the project, the research, the work, the art. And I'd like you to tell me a little bit about um, your project. So uh, we'll start off by asking maybe a question about why disability studies? Why did you get involved in that area or that discipline? Sure. So uh, the thing is, I didn't start my project as a disability studies project. It just it became obvious at some point <laughs> that it's right. something that I should pursue, something mm. that's a part of my research. So um, I started, actually it started with my master's because I was doing research about the, uh, about the families or more specifically mothers of children with Down syndrome. Right. In Poland. And when I finished my master's, I applied because they were looking for a researcher in a bigger project, which was about the rare disorders in Poland. Mm. So I started working there as, um, as an anthropologist. 
And after, let's say, two or three interviews I've done with my participants, it became so obvious that the question of disability is one that I should like follow. It's something that's the most, one of the most important uh, elements in those people's lives. Right. So that's how it happened. It didn't start that way, but it ended up this way. <laughs> And so when you started researching disability, like what were the kind of first things that you, like what's the first thing, like did you go to the library and did you put disability or did you go to speak to somebody or, you know, like what was, how did you get to disability mm -hmm. studies? Great question. It started when I was doing my master's, of course. And funny enough, it started with a special education. So I was looking for literature about the uh, like special education understanding of disability right. and I was so disappointed <laughs> with mm -hmm. everything I found it like it didn't answer any of my questions so I knew it's not you know like I shouldn't follow this and I started looking more into like um, social sciences understanding of disability uh, which was much more eye-opening right. and um, Actually, because the disabilities that I encounter now in my fieldwork are so specific uh, that I had to like follow very particular ways of understanding what the disability is. Uh, which means that, for example, uh, most of the people that I was doing research with, they have uh, invisible disability which of course is something very much different than let's say uh, having impaired mobility uh, or something like this. So right, I had yeah. to like try to follow something else. <laughs> I, I, I tried to find the answers. I'm not yet satisfied, let's say. Yeah, but because maybe. you're also dealing with rare disorders, right? You were saying yes. you're re dealing with people who have like your project is around um, people who have very specific, like food yeah. allergies, very specific, or or sorry, rare disorders that require a specific diet, a specific. Yes. yes. Um, so tell us a little about that, about that project and how disability studies interacts with that. Yeah. So the the groups that I'm doing research with are groups of Polish patients with uh, two metabolic disorders, so with ALCAT right. and PKU. Um, and both of those disorders are like the errors of metabolism, which means that the the things that you get from food cannot be properly um, uh, your body cannot properly produce uh, substances from the food. So in Elka, that's energy. So you cannot produce energy from fats. And in the case of PKU, you cannot produce some proteins from the proteins in your food. Mm. So in both of those cases, if you do not follow very restrictive diet, so either very high in calories, in case of ALCAT, or uh, with, without the proteins, in the case of PKU, you can either die, <laughs> or became um, very much intellectually disabled with Parkinson's uh, and other neurological problems in the PKU. Right. So 
you do not follow the diet, which is like the only treatment that works for the Polish patients for many different reasons, but it's the only thing that works. Um, if you do not follow the diet, you can either die or become severely disabled. Right. So the, the problem is that because, you know, the treatment is the diet and those people, those children, the families, they, you know, air quotes, look normal. <laughs> right. It's not visible. They are not treated as people with any kind of disability. Mm. It's not recognized as disability. It's more like a potential of disability. The problem is that their caregivers, so usually mothers, you know, they have to uh, follow the requirements of the diet. So they have to make every meal count calories, count proteins and everything. It's like the full-time job. Right. And they're not getting uh, paid. And so there's... Yeah. yeah, so there's issues around, like, um, like who, sorry, there, I guess there's issues around the, um, in terms of, like, getting funding in order to kind of yeah. stay at home full time, in order to care for their young children that doesn't actually get recognized by the state. Yes, exactly. So if those children were recognized as having a disability, then... The it would be much less of a problem because right. there are, you know, there is welfare, there are funds for caregivers. But then the person who you're caring for has to be recognized as having a disability. And it's really hard to, you know, like prove to the system that my child is having a disability because it's not showing, you know. It's some of the doctors that I've interviewed, they say like, it's only a diet. Which is partially true. <laughs> it's just it's not seen in the way that it's, you know, it's helpful for anyone. Yeah. So um, have you, have they done anything, like have the parents done anything in particular to um, try to get their kids recognized as having a disability? Have there any been like interesting stories or interesting methods that they've used? Oh, sure, because they, um, most of those parents, uh, in case of Elkat, I know almost every single uh, patient's parent is on the Facebook group um, for this, you know, for this group of patients. So what is happening, if one of the families is having problem with getting their benefits, other parents are helping them. So, for example, they're sending them their um, documentation, everything, just to prove that, you know, they, their child got the benefits. So this child is the same, should, you know, should have the same support and everything. So it's more like a grassroots movement. So yeah, they cannot wonderful. do anything on the, like, the higher level. It's really yeah. hard. Uh, there are plans to change it, although no one really knows if those changes are, are those changes are going to be for good or you know, or are going to be a bad changes. No one knows. Yeah. So for now, it's more like a grassroots movement to you know, like to help each other, sending 
documents sending their own you know paperwork for for those other parents to to use in front of a court let's say um so yeah so that's what's been what's been happening the problem is that those uh, welfare committees uh, they're like different in different cities there are hundreds of them if not thousands in Poland so every single committee can make you know their own choice <laughs> so that's the problem and if you are showing that other children are treated this way there is a chance that your child will be treated the same um, yeah so it's like very for me it was very inspiring to see like this kind of parental activism in that form which was like on the like um, internet platform they've never met in person but they know yeah. what they need and they know how to help and, and apparently they know that it's important like they know that it's important like because they're setting a precedent right so they know it's yeah. important that like yeah. if one child gets it or if one 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 of them is recognized as having a disability that it's more likely for more and more and more uh, other people to get recognized which is yeah which is great i mean they were are really building like a like an, a network uh online yes yes that's exactly what that is so i know that in case of pku it works pretty much the same so they are just those parents are fighting for their children to be recognized as disabled which may sound you know strange yeah. you don't want your child to be seen as disabled but in that case it's you know for their own benefit um so that's you know it was when i was doing research it was kind of a tough question because you're asking those parents like is your child disabled how do you think and they were like in some instances yes <laughs> yeah but generally not <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's true. Like, it's not, I think that idea of like disability is true for lots of different groups, right? It's not just like people with like rare disorders. Like, the problem with the state, right, is they require disability to look and act one way, right? Sure. When in fact, like, we know that disability comes and goes, that disability is not always around us. Like, as disabled people, we don't experience it all the time the same way. And yeah. so it's it's interesting how like uh, the the threshold you have to pass in order to get support is sometimes too high, right? Um, and what your research I feel like is demonstrating is like um, you know that we that the definition of disability actually might need to be um, consulted, right? Like actually cons yeah. reconsidered maybe that it's too stringent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very contextual because if you look at the situation of those families, for example, when they are at home with their families, even having dinner, which is like a very, you know, specific time, let's say, yeah, um, they are not disabled, you know. <laughs> they do not have any kind of disability. But when it comes to, let's say, education, or the welfare, they are very much, you know, disadvant in disadvantage. Right. Yeah. So I think that it shows that the the current 
understanding, let's say, legal understanding of disability is very yeah. disappointing. Yeah. So I want to know, like, what are what kind of theory or what kind of approach are you taking besides disability studies? Like, are you reading anyone that um, is helping you with your analysis? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. Um, the answer to that is I'm not following any particular theory only. Okay. Uh, because what I've done is I, I let those families, like, show me whatever they feel is important in their experience. So I've right. been just following this experience. And whatever showed up, <laughs> showed up. So I, I will just, you know, I let them do whatever they wish uh, to, you know, they just, they introduce me to their lives. So aside of um, the uh, disability studies, there are, of course, of course, um, childhood studies, because most of the people that I've met with those disorders are children. And... Yeah. Most so how does that inform your work then? Yeah, so that's, you know, you have, of course, a, a big question about methodology. If you want to do research with children, how do you approach it? How do you, you know, make the children feel as, um, you know, as a participant? Uh, what kind of other methods other than the interview you can use? So... I decided that I didn't, at that time, I didn't feel equipped. However, I never, like, in those situations of, of research in the interviews, uh, which happened mostly at home, children were always present. So if they wanted to add anything, they could. Like, they were very much welcomed. I just didn't, I just didn't do my research only with children because of... Right the methodological issues that concern uh, doing research with children. So I didn't do that. However, they were welcomed and they could, you know, add whatever they wanted. I was speaking with them. I was playing with them. Uh, you know, we had walks, we had like play dates and so on. Just, just we, 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 I mean, they were not the main yeah, they weren't the main yeah. participants. Yeah, they, they weren't the, the main participants because I I just didn't feel that I'm, you know, I can do that at that time. Now I'm maybe a little bit more wise. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I could do that, but at the time, no. However, it's something that I might do at some point in the future because I find it really interesting and very exciting. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's next time. <laughs> yeah, maybe for your postdoc, it's like the next step, right? You did the family, um, and now you need, you know, you can now do the specific individuals. I know you did, you did once tell me that you um, did do participant observation for weeks with an older, um, yes. with so an older person. Yes, so I've, um, with some of those families that I've met, I stayed for a few days, so even weeks, as you say. Uh, because I wanted to see how they are experiencing the disease in everyday life. So you can imagine, like, preparing meals is, like, everyday struggle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, 
and I also wanted to see the dynamics at the table. Um, so I was spending at least a few hours in each household, and in some cases even days, or in one case, as you say, uh, a few weeks. So that was the 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 person that you are talking about. Uh, I actually became friends with her, and she allowed me to spend two weeks with her. So we were living together, we were cooking together, and we were working together for those two weeks. So I could see uh, how it's, you know, what does it take to, well, stay healthy and stay alive. <laughs> yeah. This disease. I mean, really yeah. immersive, like, methodologically, like, really immersive experience yeah. into, you know, someone's yeah, life. Yeah. I'm sure you got lots of information from doing that. Yes, yes. So we were, you know, not only like living together, I was eating the same as she was, <laughs> of uh, course, because we were uh, cooking together. Mm. So I also, for those two weeks, I was also following her diet, <laughs> which was very like high in calories and without any fats. So that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard? Was it hard changing your diet like that? Um, not really, not that much because on this diet you can eat, uh, you can eat rice and pasta and lean meat and let's say zero percent fat yogurts and milk and so on. So you can make most of the things that you probably usually eat. Right. But just changing it slightly. The bigger problem was that you know we were eating constantly or at least drinking very sweet tea <laughs> right so like it's, the, the it's the amount of food that was really difficult yeah yeah so that was that that's when i understood because you know i just i found out at some point that those people they do not really feel hunger because if mm -hmm. you have to eat constantly you never really experience hunger so uh that was that was really interesting because i i didn't feel hungry for like two weeks <laughs> right yeah that's, that that's interesting. so interesting so yeah. other i want to ask about like now i know you're writing your research now so you're like coming up with like your analysis and your ideas I'm wondering, like, are, is there any really interesting thing that you can share with us, like your results or outcomes, things that you think, you know, are kind of really important that you learned about disability from doing this work? Yeah, so I think what I found out for what was interesting to me was that there, there's a lot of disabilities that you, you cannot see. And that was something really interesting because I didn't only follow those patients, but I also, you know, I, I was going to the conferences about rare disorders and so on, so on. So I've met a lot of people with other types of disorders, rare disorders. Right. Most of them, in most cases, you, you couldn't tell that there's anything different about them. You, you couldn't say that, you know, they have some problems in their everyday life they just looked like everyone else <laughs> yeah. so that's really eye-opening for me that you because you know i've been i 
the issue of disability was present in my life for many years because my sister has disability. And so that was so you know obvious for me that there are some cases when it's just so obvious you can look and tell. And here, in that case, you just you just cannot. And there are, there are estimates that there are like two and a half million free million people with uh, rare disorders in Poland, which means there's a huge group of people with invisible disability in our country. Um, so that was something that I've learned during yeah. my research. Two, two and a half to three million people who may not be getting the support or help that they need yes. because their disability isn't kind of recognized. Yes, it's not um. recognized and what's you know, what's more important probably, it's not visible. So it's yeah. not only a problem in, let's say, welfare system. It's also a problem in their everyday life because they are not, you know, easily recognized as having a disability. Right. <laughs> That's a huge group. Uh, and I didn't realize that before. Well, your research sounds so exciting and so fascinating. I can't wait. I know it's going to be written up in um, Pol uh, Polish for most of it, but I'm yeah. so glad that, you know, an English audience will get to hear about some of it through this podcast and who knows maybe you'll translate it someday um, <laughs> into into English or other languages so that you know we in the in the I guess majority world can can uh, cite it and work with it but I did want to move to segment number two now I call segment number two in the middle um, or the liminal and um, I'd like to ask you, who is your current academic crush? Who are you reading or who are you listening to or watching that you just absolutely are in love with? <laughs> that is a great question because I don't have, like, currently, I do <laughs> not have any academic crush. Maybe you could tell that I have because my partner is an academic. Or maybe he is my crush. <laughs> Oh, I love that answer. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I have, uh, I have really soft spot for something really, uh, let's say, unusual. Yeah. I really love um, ethnographic work, Polish ethnographic work from before the Second World War, so from 1930s. I really, really do love it. I mean, it's piece of really great literature right. <laughs> it's something so how come, very why do you different like it? From, yeah um so there are, there's a lot of you know um they were they were doing their their studies uh about the folk culture in poland in the 1930s yeah and it's like a piece of really good literature it's so mm -hmm. easy to read and it's also um uh, very poetic sometimes and with all the methodological, methodological issues, I mean, it's really, really lovely <laughs> just to read about the um, rural lives of Poles at the time. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Also, like, before, you know, things were changed forever in yes. Poland. Yes, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we had such rich folk culture before that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I think that qualifies definitely as an academic crush. <laughs> Thank <Absolutely>. you. 
<laughs> I was not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, who, um, uh, if you, if you could give advice, you are currently still, you know, a candidate, but you've been through quite a bit now. And I wondered if you had any advice for other students or young academics who may be listening and who wondered about, you know, what, um, um, if you had any kind of piece of wisdom you could give them. Yeah. So... I guess the main uh, advice I could give them is follow your passion. Because mm -hmm. I knew since I was 12 years old that I want to be an ethnologist. And, you know, I did that. Right. <laughs> and even you finish your studies, but you love what you're doing, you find a way to pursue it one way or the other. But if you do love it, if you're good at it, and you probably are if you love it, <laughs> then you should pursue it. And it will work out somehow, in some way, at some point. So just follow it. That's great. That's great. Okay, we're on to segment three. Um, segment three is called Outside the Project, the, the Research, the Work, the Art. And I'd like to ask you about your um, most famous interaction. So, who's the most famous person you've met and what was the story? Okay, so that's a funny question because uh, in my private life, my family uh, works in show business here in no Poland. No way! <laughs> yes, so, so, you know, I've met a lot of people in show business here uh actors musicians and so on but i don't think you know any of those <laughs> <people. laughs> i probably don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know but when i grew up my father was working in the theater so i spent a lot of time uh in theater when i was a child and i really loved the smell of the the stage in theater it's lovely uh -huh. um so i cannot really tell you um but I can tell you that I've met, you probably know, at Thomas Chardash at the Academic. He's, no, um, no, he's very famous from his, from his work about the embodiment mm -hmm. uh, from the 1990s. And I've met him at the conference. <laughs> if you ask me about the situation, he was playing on a guitar and singing blues for us. <laughs> He's such a great musician. <laughs> <laughs> he was singing songs, blues songs about the anthropology. <laughs> yeah, so oh, that was the encounter. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Um, that's so great. Okay. Uh, so um, I want to know what obscure fact or idea um, do you carry around with you? Like, what is this piece of information? The thing that you pull up, you know, at uh, um, a social gathering when things are awkward? Okay. <laughs> that is a funny question. I was thinking about this, and maybe I would say, um, in case of disability, that people with Down syndrome usually have straight hair. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, they Cannot they very 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 rarely have curly hair even if they're like African American? <laughs> yeah, so they have straight 
nothing here. <laughs> and so I guess the context is that your sister has Down syndrome, and this is like yeah. why you, why you have this piece of information. Yeah, exactly. And her hair is very straight. <laughs> right. That yeah. is an obscure fact. I would. I did not know that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> So besides reading um, 1930s Polish um, anthropology, um, what are you currently reading um, that you feel like other people should be reading? Oh, I don't know if they should be reading, but in those hard times of quarantine, I really like some, you know, literature that's easy to read. <laughs> so I've been reading, um, do you know, the now it's a Netflix series, The Witcher. So, yeah. originally, it was written by a Polish author. Uh, his name is Sapkowski, Andrzej Sapkowski. Uh, so, I've been <laughs> reading those books lately. Because <laughs> it's like a really good piece of good? fantasy. Yeah, I like them. I like them. I never thought that I would like fantasy books, but I do. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to pick those up then. I really like fantasy, so... Oh, you I'm gonna did have to. Like I, I didn't like the Netflix show. I have to admit, not yes. that this is a podcast about, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, critiquing Netflix shows, but I, I was not a fan of the Netflix show. So maybe yeah, the book will be better. That. Yeah, it's much better, much better than the Netflix series. <laughs> and do you have a current hobby besides, you know, petting your cat, who's named the cat in Polish? Um, <laughs> Who, uh, what kind of hobbies are you enjoying and how did you get started in them? Okay, so um, I really, I'm really into the history of fashion. So I've Ooh. been reading a lot about the subject and I'm also following like every single account about this on, on the Instagram. I'm following <laughs> them like crazy. <laughs> so I'm not really sure how it started. I think it has something to do with the theater, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, not only like, I do not only like to read about it or follow Instagram accounts, uh, but also once a year we are organizing this huge 1920s party. So for three days we are dressing in the 1920s style. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's that's really great. <laughs> and, I, and I so can do fun. like vintage, vintage hairstyles, which is really hard to do, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. That sounds like so much fun. So mm -hmm. why, why three days? Do you guys like do other things besides just dress up? Yeah. So we have uh, on the first day, there's like um, gangsters and uh, flappers party. Right. And then on the next day, uh, there's like a swimming party. Uh, from the 1920s or 30s in the next city. So we are going there in full like 1920s gear, <laughs> swimsuits, you know, uh, and, and all of those things. And then we have like a huge ball. <laughs> wow, so that's, that's my three days. <laughs> what a weekend. That sounds like a fun weekend. It is. <laughs> and a lot of champagne. Of course, of course. <laughs> so we'll end as we always do with me asking and finally how do you think disability can save the world Ooh. I think 
it's very important to have diversity in our society. It's something that makes uh, diversity is something that makes people more aware of others. And now in times of you know epidemic and pandemic, I think we we are looking at the vulnerables much more often uh, because of the people with different types of you know pre-existing conditions and disabilities everything that we are doing most of the things that we've been doing as you know the healthy part of the society is to protect them so in my opinion not only uh it makes us aware of others but also makes our world more diverse which is a you know really important and beautiful thing yeah absolutely well, Anna, it was absolutely wonderful to speak with you. I um, am so excited about your work. Um, I'm disappointed that we had to end our time together in London um, early, yeah. but hopefully we'll meet again. And I'm glad that we got to catch up again here today. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> it was lovely to see you. Thanks again to Anna Humaniets for coming on the show today. Um, next week, we'll be joined by Danielle Landry from York University. Excited to have her on the show. This podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Dr. Fadi Shenuda. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like to send me an email, um, you can do that now on the email connected to this podcast, which is disabilitysavetheworld at gmail.com. You can also check out my work if you're interested at fadishinuda.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Disability Saves the World. <laughs>